Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to The 34. Let me take this opportunity to thank the Progressive Democrats of America for all that you do to help revitalize American democracy and to raise uh, political consciousness. Uh, at the end of the day, what I am absolutely convinced of is we do not change this country. We do not deal with the grotesque level of income and wealth inequality. We don't raise the minimum wage. We don't deal with climate change. We don't deal with pay equity. We don't create the millions of jobs we desperately need unless, unless millions more people are actively involved in the political process. Unless we raise public consciousness so that people actually know what goes on here in Washington and the power that big money has over the political process. So what our job is, is to bring working families together to stand up and say enough is enough. A handful of billionaires should not be allowed to control the political and economic life of this country. We need a government that works for all people, not just the super rich. And that is what progressive Democrats of America are trying to do. And I applaud you for your efforts. And I look forward uh, to working with you. Thank you very much. Hello, PDA. Oh my God, you all are having a leadership conference this weekend. And that is really a beautiful thing to bring the leaders of this magnificent organization together to talk about the future. We at Our Revolution are so proud of our relationship with PDA. Oh my God, if I had room to run, I would run around the room right now. That's how excited I am. But to you, the leaders who are assembled together this weekend to talk about the future of not only PDA, but what the progressive movement can continue to do to build the type of society that lifts all people, starting with the least of these, our sisters and brothers all across this country. PDA, your work has meant so much to all of us and your support of Senator Bernie Sanders, PDA and our revolution doing the daggone thing. You all believed in Senator Sanders before many folks and organizations ever did. So I salute you, PDA. I also want to give a shout out to both boards, the Our Revolution Board and the PDA Board, because we have a national collaboration going on right now, which is really needed. But back to you, those of you who are assembled today. We need more citizen leaders to really get engaged, to get involved, to talk to their family, their friends, their peers, as to why we stand up for what is just, for what is right, and for what is good. And I know sometimes when you are visionary or you are on the cutting edge, people don't quite understand it all the time, and that's okay. But people like you make the difference, and you make the difference because you are citizen leaders. Now, I know we all get caught up with the flashy, the flashiness of big names. I happen to have an okay big name. But what is more important is everyday people like you doing the daggone thing. And that is why PDA exists. That's why our revolution exists. And that is why you are assembled to continue to do this great work. I bring you word from Sister Ella Baker, who said these words, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. And that is why you are there where you are right now working together because you know that we who believe in Medicare for all cannot rest. We believe we who believe in income and wealth equality cannot rest. We who believe in humanitarian and comprehensive immigration reform in the United States of America cannot rest. We who believe in sifting out the injustices in a criminal justice system that criminalizes being black and brown and poor cannot rest. We who believe that every child in this country deserves a high quality education so that they can live out their greatest greatness cannot rest. We who believe that women deserve their whole damn dollar, ladies say whole damn dollar, cannot rest. And we who believe, as the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. believed, that darkness can't drive out darkness, only light can. And hate cannot drive out hate, only love can. Cannot rest. So have an awesome weekend together. Come out with ideas that will continue to shift the narrative in this country and know that your work is worth doing. We love you, PDA.
podcast, we're speaking with Alan Minsky. Alan is a longtime activist here in District 34. You know his work as a journalist in The Nation, Truth Dig, um, some other publications. Um, Alan was also the program director at KPFK for many years. And he is currently the executive director of Progressive Democrats of America. So welcome, Alan. Oh, great to be here. Yeah. Tina, thanks. So I wanted to talk about PDA for Mm. a moment, since Mm. that's your current gig. Mm. Uh, PDA was founded in 2004. Mm. I know Tom Hayden was one of the original Mm. founding members, I believe. Mm. Um, Some ex-Howard Dean folks, right? Um, Kucinich, too. Kucinich, okay. So, um, but the mission was always to pull the Democratic Party to the left. Um, And, you know, given... We have to go back, I think, for a moment to talk about how Bill Clinton and Third Way and some of his neoliberal policy had really, at that point, infiltrated the party. And the party. we were seeing control of the party. We we're seeing a lot of private privatization coming in, mm-hmm. a lot of corporate mm-hmm. um, ownership, mm-hmm. et cetera. So uh, given that it's now 2019 mm-hmm. and we're 15 years past the, mm-hmm. the forming of PDA, what do you think are some of the highlights, some of the successes that you've had at mm-hmm. the organization mm-hmm. and then also some of the current challenges that you're currently facing? Well, um, obviously, the greatest uh, and most high-profile success the PDA ever had uh, occurred very late in, unfortunately and tragically, in the life of the founder, Tim Carpenter, which is in 2013, uh, even before I wrote the article in Truth Dig, which was called, uh, This Democratic Party is Useless, Progressives Need to Take It Over and Change the World. Um, Useless is a good word. Where, where I, was, which I, I published that a day or two after the sweep of the Democrats in 2014 midterms. Even before that, PDA had started their Run Bernie Run campaign. Right. So they had called upon Bernie Sanders, not Elizabeth Warren, who was the primary focus. Why is that? I mean, we love Elizabeth Warren. We have had a great relationship with Elizabeth Warren. Well, our founder, Tim Carpenter, was in Massachusetts. And when Elizabeth Warren was saying she was, uh, you know, not likely to run in 2014, in 2016, and challenge the presumed nominee, Hillary Clinton, who the Clinton and their machine was working right. to clear the field. We were calling on Bernie Sanders to run, uh, both because we absolutely love Bernie Sanders. We knew what, how magnetic a character yeah. he was, how he could articulate a progressive position to a mass audience and do so brilliantly. I mean, Bernie Sanders is just preternaturally uh, gifted in yeah. terms of being a, a politician for our time because, you know, Frank Lutz on the Republican side can say you have to talk in sound bites. Your sound bites have to be compelling. Mm-hmm. I don't think Bernie really has to sit down and write these things out. No. They, I mean, he just hits his marks perfectly in 12 words. And consistently. He expresses, yes, exactly. and consistently. Yeah. Over again, reiteration, et cetera. Yeah. And so we knew Bernie could be incredible. And, you know, Tom Hartman was involved in PDA right. and Bernie Sanders was on the uh, breakfast with Bernie or brunch with Bernie show at Tom Hartman. So we called upon Bernie to run in 2013 and, uh, and in no grief to Elizabeth Warren said nothing to do with any, uh, sense of not wanting a woman versus a male candidate. Right. Um, and, uh, and we built a movement to draft Bernie Sanders. I don't know if you heard, but Bernie Sanders ran for president in 2016. And that transformed American politics. It really did. It brought back into the national discourse yeah. A whole set of basically social democratic policies that guess what? The public loves the idea of them. Okay. Yeah. Um, and Bernie, of course, ended the 2016 uh, election cycle as the most popular politician in the country. Mm-hmm. So that obviously was a great achievement for PDA. Mm-hmm. But PDA was founded as an organization that was going to have chapters around the country. Mm-hmm. And it was going to be boots on the ground engagement inside outside strategy with the Democratic Party. Right. Now, um, in 2011, to give you a little bit, this is, interview is about PDA and about the politics of our time and not about me, but maybe just a no, little, personal, about you, no, per, a little bit of personal evolution. Right? Absolutely. I was um, one of the people who was involved in the Occupy movement, okay. even before the occupation of Zuccotti Park. Oh. Because okay. I had done an interview, which I, we play every day after Thanksgiving on KPFK, with Micah White from Adbusters. And Micah was the singular sole author of yeah. the call to have an Occupy movement. That's right. So it came out of Adbusters. And so I got involved through Adbusters in promoting this Occupy Wall Street idea um, in the buildup to, I believe, it was September 17th when it started. And I got very involved in Occupy. And I had basically been, uh, my politics are such that I did believe very strongly in engagement with electoral politics with public policy, support unions, Mm -hmm. uh, support their initiatives to have the best possible public policy we can get out of the political system. But at the same time, I was primarily a grassroots social justice activist 
And in particular, I was involved in two very anarchist-leaning mass or organizations, the cycle of demonstrations around Seattle, the WTO, right. the counter-globalization okay. demonstrations, and then Occupy, which also was organized on that same structure. Well, Occupy happened. Now, I don't know if you remember that week, but there was, it, was like, it was like wildfire about October 1st, a couple of weeks after the 17th, and occupation spread up all across yeah. okay, the country. And you go forward a year, within a year, if you were acutely attentive to what was going on in Occupy, you basically knew that the impact in terms of improving people's lives, other than the generation of the slogan 99%, was going to be just yeah. squat, nothing. <clears throat> and you yeah. looked at, and then that's around the time that I met PDA. So uh, I was okay. involved in PDA as a PDA fellow traveler. Pretty much around that time, there are a few people around Southern California, you know, Russell Green, yeah. Dorothy Wright, who were involved in introducing me to PDA. So actually by 2013, I think 2013, maybe 2014 was the first year, I was going to the PDA annual retreats. I was that involved with it. And I did some media projects with PDA. And I was learning that you don't have to compromise your politics. And you, you look, the reality is, and God bless the souls who are involved in the Green Party. God bless everybody who's a social justice activist. PDA, don't forget, has an inside-outside strategy. Right. But the reality is, the reality, like this is a table reality. Yeah. You know, it's not a cat. We call this a table. We understand why. It's social convention. This is a table. We live in a two-party system That's in the right. United States of America. And if we want to improve people's lives, and when you take it all the way out to an issue like climate change, Basically, if you're not engaging the Democratic Party because you're in trouble, yeah, you're, you're not in trouble. You're really probably a part of the problem right now. And people okay. on the left That's have fair. to accept that. Now, you know, that means you still, of course, should be involved in social justice, grassroots activism, community activism. But don't block off the relationship to the people who share your politics, who are trying to transform the creation of public policy. The yeah. right wing took over this country beginning with the Reagan era, and they did it through a network of think tanks yes. and had to turn the Republican Party into a party that marches in lockstep That's right. with the interests of uh, right. the, the conservative wing of, of capital, because the Democratic right. Party tried to take the more liberal wing. I don't know that either wing of capital are really going to help us that much. Right? I, yeah, I think not. <laughs> well, maybe we can get to that and talk about markets and society and a right. better vision of society. But, but at any rate, the Republican Party, they understood that to get the environment that would produce and maximize profit for them and political power and personal wealth for them, they had to take over the yeah. electoral yeah. political system of the United States. And we on the left have to do the same. And there's no entry into the Republican Party. So we have to try to take over the Democratic Party. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you could even, I, I would say you could even go back further to, you know, the time of the Powell memo where they mm. really, oh, yeah. right. where right. they really sort of mapped out the plan. And you're right about the think tanks and the lobbyist firms like, all of these things grew in lockstep together with an absolute concrete plan about how mm -hmm. they were going to start. You know, and this was sort of a response to the, in my opinion, the New Dealism that had come out of, uh, you know, the 50s, 60s, like mm -hmm. where where we actually were making inroads mm -hmm. as far as progressives in the country, mm -hmm. with, you know, much higher tax rates, mm -hmm. uh, New Deal programs being rolled out, mm -hmm. Social mm -hmm. Security, you mm -hmm. know, all of those things. And mm -hmm. the corporations simply don't want to pay for that. I don't mm -hmm. think that's any big. Um, controversial statement as far as, but I guess my beef with the Democratic Party, and I'm a Democrat, don't get me wrong, I don't disagree with you. I could understand voting for a third party candidate if you're in a safe district. I, you know, here in District 34, we had a Green Party candidate and we That's had right. a Democrat. Made the runoff, right? Yeah. yeah. So here is a situation where no matter who you choose, we're, we're you know, quote unquote safe. It's not mm -hmm. where you're going to mm -hmm. maybe possibly elect a Republican from mm -hmm. that outcome. So mm -hmm. I think it depends on where you live. And I think there might be some argument um, to be made that's sort of valuable in the sense that if you do get enough third party um, votes where they get a seat at the debates or whatever, that could also that conversation also push move the Overton window sure, so to sure, speak sure, to the sure, left. Sure, sure. So, but I think you I think that, you have to you be calculated a, you about that situation right now with uh, both Mike Gravel and Marion Williams. Yes, there's no okay. doubt that Gravel. I'm a fan of his Twitter feed, by oh, the way. Oh, it's unbelievably <laughs> great. It is so great. Did you see the letter he wrote as an apology yeah, for yeah. the thing he said about uh, Buttigieg, um, oh. which was absolutely fantastic? And then, and then, um, uh, but to get him in, specifically, of course, the Twitter, more people will read right. the Twitter feed if he's in the debate, so that's great. That's true. But also, he, he definitely, more than Bernie Sanders, more than Elizabeth Warren, um, advocates for what the world needs to hear around U.S. Yeah. foreign policy. So yes. it would be great to have the foreign debates. policy is and, outstanding. And, and similarly, Marion Williamson on a few issues, yeah. uh, but very notably on the environment, 
is yeah. uh, just pulls no punches yeah. uh, in her focus on that issue, and it, her voice would be valuable. It looks like she's qualified, and I suppose Gravel right now is in the home stretch. He's in the home stretch, and so you know when folks make these arguments like, "Well, I'm going to give twenty bucks to Gravel, hoping to get him on the stage," I completely, even though I'm a big fan of Bernie, well, and I will be well, voting for Bernie. Yeah, and, and PDA has officially endorsed Bernie, right. and I, I will be voting for Bernie. So, but um, I, right. these voices are necessary, and I, um, and I do agree with you on the foreign policy because in this country we seem to have a singular foreign policy at this point. Mm, the right. Democrats and the Republicans. <laughs> it's heinous too. So. It is heinous, right? Yeah. I, I do. Um, I do think Matt or Matt. I want to. I'm thinking Matt Dust, which I'm going to ask you about in a second. Mm. But I think Bernie has absolutely been pulled to the left in his foreign policy since sure. the last sure. election cycle. I know sure. he's moved much more to the left on Israel Palestine. I think Jim Zogby's had something to do mm. with that with his influence. Mm. Um, big fan of Jim's, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, good man. yeah, yeah. I've had him on the podcast. He's mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm happy to call him friend, actually. Oh, that's uh, great. But I want to talk to you, speaking of foreign policy, I'm going to shift gears for a second. Mm -hmm. In April, you spoke at the Dispatches from the U.S. Left uh, Mm -hmm. convention or Mm -hmm. event, whatever you want to call this, that was at the European Parliament. So Mm -hmm. we're in Europe now. I know Matt Dust was also there. Uh, Matt couldn't make it. Matt, oh, he didn't. Uh, oh, he was on the. A little unclear as to why he couldn't make it. One hand, the Senate vote on Yemen was coming up. Oh, okay. And on All the right. other, there was an issue around his being on a Senate staff and. Uh, I think that means the Senate pays for the trip and they wouldn't uh, okay it. So Matt All was right. unable to attend. That was, okay, so that was actually probably a better choice because Bernie would have been dragged for it if that's the case. Uh, Why well, are we paying? Like, you remember last year we went to see the Pope. It was this whole Bernie's, outrage. By the way, Bernie, Bernie's been, you know, as, as we've seen the poll shift recently with Biden's entry into the race, and we'll yeah. see how long that lasts. Yeah. Because, if you know, if, if the Democratic Party base is going to um, nominate Joe Biden and there's a full cognizance of yeah. uh, his record, then um, we're going to learn something new about the Democratic Party base. Yeah, I um, think you're right. But if, if uh, you know, it's, right now, I think if you, this, I saw an article where MSNBC and CNN have as much coverage of Biden as all the other candidates combined now <laughs> since he entered into the race. So he's been boosted up. But there's right. this perception that Bernie, maybe Bernie was hurt in the numbers of the polls. He's still double any other candidate in second. Right. Um, he uh, had the thing about felon voting rights. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, some arguments to whether sort of talk about being right on an issue. Yeah, and when totally he gets to our, explain this issue. to the public yeah. that this this basically has I mean, if, if those other candidates too, none of them are brave enough to take the right position on that issue. No, be very no. And, yeah. you know, Vermont and Maine currently allow uh, convicted prisoners to vote. So this isn't mm. this isn't something that's completely out of. The ordinary, and he's right on this. Look, here's the situation. Also, you the criminal have, justice is completely racist and classist. Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say. And it's not as if you have criminals um, who are walking around free voting and there are people that are wrongly convicted or right. therefore um, longer sentences. Like, you can get into all of these arguments, but I think at the end of the day, it's about voting rights and increasing democracy and not suppressing votes. And that includes convicted mm. felons. Sorry, right. if that makes right. you uncomfortable, then I don't know what to say. I agree right. with Bernie on right, this. Right, right, right. right. Um, I digress, though. Uh, but I think... Uh, yeah, and foreign policy in Europe, the trip Yeah, I want to talk about this for a second yeah, because I think this is a really important conversation to be had. We have an increase in fascism globally. It's sure. not just here in the United States. Mm-hmm. You can look at Brexit. You can look at the election of Trump here. You can look at what's going on in Italy. You can look at the uh, amounts of uh, votes that Le Pen got in France. So there's an increase and I think something that we've seen over the last few years, we can look at the root causes, and I think they're neoliberal um, at base, because we have massive income inequality, mm-hmm. not just in the United States, mm-hmm. everywhere. 82% of the new wealth created mm-hmm. the last two years has mm-hmm. gone to the 1%. Mm-hmm. This is not tenable. It's immoral. It's it's crazy. But this is where we're at. But I think the, the problem that we're seeing is the left failed to give a left exit to that. Instead, we continued running bankster-type candidates. Mm-hmm. As opposed well, to something that was like a... I don't think that's the left, but yeah. No, okay, yeah. fair. No, I, will, I, mean, I, mean, I agree with you on that. And so, I don't mean to prioritize... But you understand what I'm like, saying. Like, I like this hand as much as this hand. Like, <laughs> why I, it comes out of the French Revolution and the ideas that if you're on the 100%, left... 100%. Right, I agree supporting. with you. So I use the term left in this right. sentence very right. loosely. Right. Um, because I agree with you. I don't think half of the, de- the Democratic Party is not left, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless... Mm-hmm. Um, we saw we saw what's purporting to be the left run candidates that were still corporatist, still mm-hmm. neoliberal, mm-hmm. still still wanting to privatize more items, still wanting to, you know, cut back on some of the benefits that you would get in retirement. Except we can go down the list of those things. And I think that voters did not come out and vote 
for this reason, mm. or if they did, they went to the guy that was telling them, whether it was in the United States or somewhere else, that they, this we're going to do something about your financial pain. Mm-hmm. You know, whether or not that's true is a different conversation. Sure. That's what mm-hmm. they responded to. So mm-hmm. now we're going into 2019 and mm-hmm. I'm very concerned about the rise of fascism globally because mm-hmm. it's not just here. Mm-hmm. If you'll indulge me, I'd like to start with a brief reminiscence of a period which is eerily similar to today in many unpleasant respects. Uh, I'm thinking of uh, exactly 80 years ago, uh, almost to the day, happened to be the uh, moment of the first article that I remember having written on political issues. Uh, Easy to date, it was right after the fall of Barcelona in February. 1939. Uh, The article was about uh, what seemed to be the inexorable spread of fascism over the world. In 1938, uh, Austria had been annexed by Nazi Germany. Uh, A few months later, Czechoslovakia was betrayed, uh, placed in the hands of the Nazis at the Munich uh, conference. Uh, the, uh, in Spain, uh, one city after another was falling to Franco's forces. Uh, February 1939, Barcelona fell. That was the end of the Spanish Republic. The uh, Uh, remarkable uh, popular revolution, anarchist revolution of 1936, 37, 38 had already been crushed by force. It looked as if uh, fascism was going to spread without end. Uh, It's not exactly what's happening today, but if we can borrow Mark Twain's famous phrase, uh, history doesn't repeat, but sometimes rhymes. Well, that was 80 years ago. Uh, today, we, do not, we are not facing the rise of anything like Nazism, but we are facing the spread of uh, uh, what's sometimes called uh, uh, ultranationalist, uh, reactionary, international, uh, trumpeted openly by its advocates, including uh, Steve Bannon, the impresario of the movement, uh, just uh, had a victory yesterday. The Netanyahu uh, election in Israel solidified the reactionary uh, alliance that's being established. All of this under the U.S. aegis, uh, run by the triumph- triumvirate uh, Trump. Uh, Pompeo, Bolton, triumvirate, uh, could borrow a phrase from George W. Bush to describe them, but out of politeness, I won't. It's dark in Europe right now. It's very dark. So this is what I want to talk to you about. You were there in Europe. This was obviously uh, a convention that was trying to deal with these issues Mm -hmm. and have a conversation about these Mm -hmm. issues. So walk us through some of the things that you heard there, what you think was beneficial coming out of that? Um, well, I think there are, um, first of all, I think the idea of the conference uh, was, of course, more than just the, the rising uh, nightmare of, uh, of of the far right across the world in, in Western Europe and the United States in particular, because we were yeah. just a contingent from the United States. And we talked about, obviously, the need to branch out into left internationalism. And I do think yeah. what's essential is the revitalization of left internationalism. Mm-hmm. Because we certainly have one issue as big as any issue imaginable, which is climate change. Yeah. That's going to take oh, yeah. clearly uh, complete uh, international coordination. Absolutely. Um, and it really, something on the order of like the laws on uranium distribution. Yeah. I mean, fossil fuels have to be treated basically. And, you know, this is this is a big lift. And it's it really does lift. require a World War II mobilization. I level agree. of mobilization, which, lives. which by the way, was means complete mobilization. Yeah. I mean, I flew to Brussels on a jet plane. I do not know what technology 
gets me there. Obviously, all of right. you know international business, international trade yeah. uh, is predicated upon you know jet travel and stuff like that. So how we get there in eleven years to where you're not you know contributing yeah. massively to global warming with all these airplane flights, right? Yeah. So there's a lot to that, but there's I figure three primary issues, and you okay. touched on uh, the other two um, already. One is of course, the rise of the right, and we need an international left coordination to address the rise of the right. And the second, the third, rather, is, uh, and you said very much rooted in the failures of neoliberalism, the economic system that came into place with Reagan and Thatcher and really right. got really got uh, established as the consensus with Blair and Clinton, the yeah. UK Labour Party and the, and the um, American Democratic Party, essentially also promoting the market knows best. Right. Um, right. Moral arbiter, which is crazy to me, but yeah, uh, unbelievably crazy. Much- <laughs> and, and that has failed. And of course it exploded and Im- yeah. imploded in 2007, 2008. And since that time, while, you know, you can read the papers and they'll tell you the economy's booming, but basically it's been, they put Humpty Dumpty back together again <laughs> because they controlled all the powers, the political power mechanisms in the most powerful country, visualization right, of co- this. country in the world, the United States, right? You had Hank, yeah. Hank Paulson oh, yeah. and uh, and a bunch of Goldman Sachs executives deciding what to do. And yeah. nobody else was really in the conversation. Nope. And so they put Humpty Dumpty back together again with, again, basically free money for the rich and for financial institutions through quantitative easing and austerity for the masses. That's right. So And so even, even as, you know, you read the paper in this low unemployment, well, how good are those jobs, right? People have to work so many jobs to get by. The debt loads are ever increasing. Yeah. And the rich get richer and richer and richer and richer. And, richer, right? yeah. and you know, even in Thomas Piketty, it says if you're going to have an investment-based driven economy, only the people with the money to invest yeah. are going to be the can, ones who are making, making yeah, money. So, so there are those three things. And to tackle any of the three, let alone their interrelation, you need a revitalized left internationalism. Yeah. Now, yes, the situation in Europe is very terrible. You have a situation in many countries where there is tremendous resentment at the political disempowerment they have felt with the structure of the European Union and yeah. that uh, that they had no say in the wars in the Middle East and North Africa, which blew apart societies, created mass immigration yeah. and uh, countries that they had no check on the Bush-Cheney administration. No. They had no check on Sarkozy and Hillary Clinton nope. when they toppled Muammar Gaddafi, right? So and there's now an, there's an absolute slave trade in Libya. I don't right, know how many people right. are unaware of this. Right, it's terrible. It's terrible. Right, and and um, unfortunately, the, the response has been through demagoguery and racism yeah. and the rise of the far right. Well, okay, what the left has to stand for in light of that is to return always to the to the idea that we can organize society in a way that will address these problems and improve your life, create a more equitable economy and a more just society. The right will not do that. Right. Now, <clears throat> we have to be strong in articulating that every moment going forward, but uh, at the moment, you know, as in, as with Trump being president, how much has he delivered? for the deindustrialized Midwest. Bernie Sanders right. is out yeah, there saying yeah. nothing. He said he wouldn't touch Medicare. And, and even in Italy, where you do have high opinion polls right now with the government, in particular for the far-right partner in the coalition, right. um, he is making a pact. Uh, and, 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 and basically, you know, behind the scenes, he is undermining the way he ran. He ran, don't forget, as Le Pen did, promising to defend the, uh, the welfare state right. uh, for, again, as, as a bigot, only for white Italians. Oh, for white, right? yeah, exactly. Right? But <laughs> exactly. even that isn't happening. And yeah. again, the, the crisis of this structure, this neoliberal organization, which the far right is not challenging for the welfare of people, is going to be still going forward. And the left has to provide an answer that will improve people's lives, as well as come up with a humane response to uh, the issues around um, migration and immigration. For the, the point for the left is to be able to address that in a humane way right. and to keep the eyes on the prize of improving society. And, you know, there have been incredible waves of migration throughout Europe and its history. And, uh, you know, obviously you do want to address the humanitarian crises in Syria, the humanitarian crises in North Africa. Yeah. And, and, and there's, you know, when you, when you, of course, you want to have self-determination for people in those regions, but uh, you know when you can when you are these massive uh, capital controlling 
countries their ways to have a constructive engagement with those societies such that we can be uh, a positive player and improve yeah. the, the dynamics I, of those places that we blew up. I agree. Yes. Well, you know, and that's, that isn't that a, that's the heart of the problem with our foreign policy, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, all of this immigration is stemming from our actions abroad. So people are not just flooding up through Mexico because mm-hmm. everything's peachy came from the countries that they came from. Mm-hmm. You have to go back and look at U.S. Absolutely. Oh, so yeah. our foreign policy, I mean, we literally fight wars where we, re- where we replace coups. Like, I mean, you can look at Venezuela as a prime mm-hmm. example currently. Mm-hmm. Where uh, Mike, Honduras, yeah. Like Mike Pompeo was literally saying the other day that, and I don't know how he says this shit with a straight face, but he literally said that Cuba was the imperialist power in Venezuela. First Cuba. No nation has done more to sustain the death and daily misery of ordinary Venezuelans, including Venezuela's military and their families, than the communists in Havana. Cuba is the true imperialist power in Venezuela. Mm-hmm. Are, you mm-hmm. have to be on crack to make such mm-hmm. a ridiculous statement. Mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. This country that has no money that's been under U.S. sanctions for mm-hmm. 50 years mm-hmm. is the imperialist power, not mm-hmm. us. Yeah. That's um, just a wild claim. But here's the thing. That's actually really not nice to say that about crack. <laughs> <laughs> In terms of Mike Pompeo. That's really, you know, there's, there's a lot of problems with, with crack cocaine, I'm sure. But it can't uh, be it cannot be blamed for Mike Pompeo. No, all right, fair enough. Uh, but I That's mean, my Tyrone Biggins moment yeah. there. You know, is, no, it's a good one. <laughs> well, but you're right. I mean, this is, but he makes these wild claims and, you know, but the reality is, is we have to look at why the United States as a foreign policy constantly. And you can even go back to Iran in the 60s where we toppled their government because they were going to nationalize oil. Mm-hmm. All of these things sure. stem back to corporate America and what corporate America no, it, wants. In fact, the real sickness there, too, you know? is there's no doubt they want the oil in Venezuela. Of course they yeah. are. It's the se- yeah. second largest producer of oil. Yeah. Once, mm-hmm. I mean, the biggest one outside of the, United, uh, the Middle East. Yeah. So now, you know, I'm not I don't think you have to defend Maduro to Maduro to say that U.S. backed regime chains and coups are a bad idea. Oh, absolutely. I don't it's, think Maduro is the worst guy out there. I don't think he's the best guy out there either. But that's sort of tend- tangential to the conversation. I mean, I think, I, I think I mean? it's a little different than, than a situation <laughs> like Libya and Syria, where I do think yeah. you, you need okay. to go to the United Nations and yes. all the peoples of the world and have a conversation and, and talk about what's what's transpiring, because those are. Those are, you know, broken societies with large, large swaths of the geography yeah. and open warfare, and no human beings can live there, and really right. all, all the humanity. Far worse than what we're seeing in Venezuela. Frankly. Absolutely, and, and Venezuela. Venezuela. He was elected. Venezuela. Twice. In yeah. fact, in fact, the 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 destabilization is coming in great degree because from of, United States pressure, right. and yes, and I correct. think that it should the Venezuelan people should address this. As the Venezuelan people. I agree. Yeah. It's like wash, rinse, repeat. We put the sanctions on, mm-hmm. they, the, which only affect the starving and the poor. We create this, this environment. Right. It wasn't there previously. Right. Almost always the case. Of right. And then we turn around and say, well, we have to help them. It's a humanitarian situation. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just this, this cycle that we mm-hmm. get into. And it needs to be broken because... Honestly, I don't see how you make the case that Maduro is any worse than Trump is. Should we advocate somebody invading our country and throwing Trump out and putting some corporate backed? I mean, we can call the. Uh, I mean, shoot, let's just call Bernie the interim president. Let's yeah. be done with it. Who uh, needs an election? <laughs> I, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, I don't. No, I don't think people understand how complex these conversations are, or why it's important to sort of understand that what motivates our foreign policy time and time again is corporate America. And yeah, not, and, and in fact, indeed, you're, you know you're actually, you know, your, your example is not a bad example because of course not. And what we need to do in the United States is everything else being equal. I am in favor of proceeding with impeachment. This guy is behaving like oh. he's the king. Yeah. Okay. Fair. And that's been something that. Do you, you think Mike go, Pence is worse though? I think you have to stand on principle and, you know, okay. we can argue about flaws within the American constitutional system, but mm-hmm. he is basically creating a dynamic in which the checks and balances won't even no, be given lip service. And um, so we have, and, you know, obviously this has been a problem with foreign wars for a while in terms of the power mm-hmm. of the executive branch, but this, this goes beyond that. He says he's above the law. He's behaving like he's a king. Yeah. So we, I believe, and PDA officially supports impeachment. Okay. Now, I think um, in terms of the thing that you posited, it is a little bit analogous to Venezuela. And no, nobody should invade the United States. Of course not. Yeah. Uh, the American people 
need to stand for free and fair elections. Period. And, yeah. and have them. And not only that, would be nice if we actually had fully free and fair elections in the United States. We need to get the money out of politics. Yeah. we got to make sure all the mechanisms are safe and sound. In England, in the, in the UK, pretty damn large country, okay? Um, you know, 50, 60 million people. Um, you know, the United States, great ingenious place we believe we are. And there is a tremendous amount, obviously, of ingenuity among the American people. We certainly can do what they do, which is have paper ballots counted by hand <laughs> Thank the you. night yes. of the election. That's they right. get the results. What is what is the rate of their results uh, delivered ours, compared to California? Know, right? It's oh, like God. months before. Months. Yeah. yeah. And we knew right away that Jeremy Corbyn had almost won. Right. Yeah. You know, but and you know, also, you know, the ACLU is suing California right now. I don't know if you've been following this mm-hmm. lawsuit because Dean Logan was throwing out mm-hmm. ballots without contacting voters because the signatures, they were oh, saying yeah. the signatures didn't match the one. Yeah, yeah, it's like so. I know, my signature from when I initially signed up. Yeah. But at least have the audacity or the, uh, not the audacity, he's the one being audacious, at least have the wherewithal to contact the voter and give them the opportunity to show you that that's a valid mm-hmm. Mm. Don't just throw it out and not tell them. Well, what I the think, hell is that? I think, again, uh, the, the right wing in it's the crazy. United States, and this extends, as we've seen at times, to the right wing of the Democratic Party, yeah. have contempt for uh, the uh, uh, the capacity of the people of the United States to influence the politics of the country. Yeah, and, um And so, yes, we need to protect our democracy and... Uh, we need fair elections and we need the opportunity to have Donald Trump voted out of office, I, which is not that long agree. from now. And, I think uh, he's. Yeah, I think we would have to really screw up this election cycle to not. <laughs> Having said that, that remains to be seen. Well, I want to talk I, about something, yeah. though, that, 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 you know, let's let's be clear too. what we're going to face with the reintroduction of social democratic policies, democratic socialist policies, whatever you want to call them. The Bernie Sanders uh, continuation of the FDR, right. LBJ domestic yeah. program policies into the present, right? So Bernie yeah. isn't doing it himself. There's an appetite among the public. Alexandria oh, Ocasio-Cortez. And also, I, I don't want to, uh, you know, just marginalize Elizabeth Warren because she's produced a tremendous number of great policy proposals. Mm-hmm. Now, some of them don't go quite as far as I'd like to see them go. Uh, but, yeah, um, I, I agree with you. But uh, there's <clears> great <throat> stuff there. And she's not terrible. I agree with you. No, she's. She does some things I don't yeah. agree with. But well, yeah. you know, we'll see how this plays out. Right now, it is right now. If it started right now, it looks like it would be Biden versus either either Sanders or Warren. Right now, it looks like Biden versus Bernie. But if uh, for some reason Bernie trips, just the party has two wings, and it yeah. looks like it's going to come down to it's a, a showdown. It's a showdown, yeah. right, between these two wings in the party. Agreed. And I think it, it, you know what is the the primary weapon that they deploy against our politics is that we'll break the economy. Right. right? That um, and, and I think what is true is we will transform the ways in which capital generates profitability or increasing its right. stock prices, right? Which is their primary focus in exactly. terms of a you know corporate focus, obviously maintaining the companies, but also um, the the stock and investment portfolios of the rich and the wealthy and the relationship of a company to various portfolios and that that would be challenged by the introduction of these policies. And we have to be clear about what it's going to take, given that resistance and the fear that they will monger about that, what it means to have a society that operates differently, in which you have a dynamic economy, a dynamic market economy, because the average person is not in debt and has money in their pockets, right. <clears throat> and they're living not on the, du- du- the duress that keeps people locked yeah. into jobs that they hate. They have flexibility within the labor market, right. and they have money in their pockets to spend, and that that can produce a much more vibrant economy than what exists Absolutely. now. And also, furthermore, yeah. you know, this is not a totalitarian proposal. No. These corporations are going to still be a part of the landscape. They have resources. They have made the average American worker work our asses off just to make ends meet. By the same logic, let's see them adjust to uh, circumstances that's altered for the benefit of the people, not strictly for what their agenda is. I bet you they have the capacity to adjust. I do think Coca-Cola will still be available on the marketplace. Yeah, of course. You know? Uh, you know, so I, you know, this brings me to a conversation. I'm going to just go off a little tangent here because mm-hmm. I think this is important. Um, if you look at the uh, the economies of like Sweden per se, which mm-hmm. my family's from Sweden, you know they require in Sweden by law that every corporate board have worker representation. Sure. There's two spots mm-hmm. on each board, and well, I think German. You, you know, it's crazy. Germany is is fifty plus one, right? Okay, so all right the way up to the the, the so no, forty nine percent are right. workers. Because which they should co- have which, a say. which country wrote those laws? 
Who, who ah. wrote the laws of Germany, West West Germany, not East Germany, after the war? Oh, the Marshall Plan? Yeah, it was written, I, it was written by the Truman administration. <laughs> I never really thought that through. Right. Wild, you're right. Mm -hmm. And now, okay. which, which which per capita, in terms of really almost every meaningful social index, is a more stable, Sweden, wealthy yeah, society? But Germany, States. too, which Germany is a huge country, yeah, yeah, I agree. than the United States. So, I... Right. And, they had to absorb, and they had to absorb East Germany just a few decades ago, and it's still the case. They're yeah. sort of the, so I think part of the problem, though, is Americans are raised with this belief that all free markets are capitalist, and this is not the case. Capitalism is a 19th century well, concept. Right. But what free is markets but it, we, we, have, we have a ton of individualism, and it goes <clears throat> even back to the structure of the Constitution, oh, yeah, and it's just very inscribed it's within. all in tide. Yeah. Okay. okay, but, you know, there, first of all, there are ways in which what we're talking about allows more liberty for individuals than the current system. Se secondly... There's, there's absolutely nothing about what we're talking about that would negate the capacity of people to be in, say, a garage right. <laughs> and Doing go, this, go yeah. and, and, no, and produce something. Or a like, co-op like where the, the workers like, own the, the business itself. Like, like, those, yeah. like those places a few a few miles south of San Francisco that yeah. were jobs in when, when Wozniak were tinkering around and coming up with a little gadget that everybody wanted. Innovation. And, yeah, and that, that could yeah. still happen in the world that we're talking about. And it's probably more inside. likely to happen because these right. bigger companies, these monopolies have absolutely no right. imperative in fact, for in fact, innovation. Jobs and Wozniak, of yeah. course, are working. At basically the apex of the era yeah, of the influence of the post FDR yeah. uh, LBJ, and everything's right. gone downhill since then. So um, you can't have look. Workers deserve a fair say in what happens to them. They deserve a fair say of the production that they create. You know, I'm like an Adam Smith person in the sense that I think it, sh it should be measured by labor, not not gold. Mm -hmm. And the value of that well, is the Adam Smith is better than Adam Smith. Right, because he's so bastardized as a philosopher. Like, yeah. he was an Enlightenment area philosopher. When he wrote, he, if you read his entire book, Wealth of Nations, mm -hmm. you realize really quickly that he's not a capitalist. Right. He is he's, he's pro-labor. Right. He, he criticizes monopolies. All of these things. But and he, he has another book that he wrote later. Morals, um, yeah, right, so, which is even centrist. beautiful. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I love that you know these books. <laughs> So I'm not anyway. getting the title right. So yeah. No, yes, you're no, you're absolutely correct. Anyway, so point being is there. I'd are, be very frustrated on Jeopardy. I would lose the question okay. having known it. You know, the theory of moral sentiments. Theory of yes, boom. See, I, I have a philosophy master's and I could remember it just now. So yeah, you're in good company. Very beautiful book. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so point being is that there are there are markets that are actually freer than capitalist markets. Our capitalists are rigged for the capitalists. There's no two ways about it. So mm -hmm. if you leave that stuff untethered and raw, it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here's where we're at. Mm -hmm. um, let's well, but it is untethered and raw. They <laughs> have it regulated to their advantage. But that's and, what I'm saying. It's absolutely And And structured enough to dribble down so that you don't yeah. create social chaos. That's basically where they have us right I now. completely co-sign with that sentiment. Right. And right. that's the problem. And he, But this is why people talk about this idea of late-stage capitalism. Because we're at a point now where there's no longer any expendable income floating around out there in the general population. Right. Which blows back on the capitalists, mm -hmm. because if they cannot sell a certain amount of goods to consumers, they're mm -hmm. in trouble. Mm -hmm. But, you know, well, the problem is it eats Don't itself. forget, it was just a few months ago, as yeah. we talk, and I don't know how much people even remember this, but in December, December, and what happened first was the Fed said it was going to raise interest rates. Right, the markets <laughs> went... <laughs> Then it turned around and yeah, put the right. brakes. But on that's that. again, yeah. that's the fear that they will put in against a social democratic yeah. agenda. I agree. And, it's uh, be and how we're going to have to be coordinated, yeah. cognizant of yeah. everything, and um, and again, the closer we get to um, hopefully a Sanders or Warren presidency, yeah. Um, because I think Warren will be hit with the same thing. By the way, oh, absolutely. Uh, and I don't know that she is actually prepared I, yeah. enough in terms of movement building. That's mm -hmm. part of the genius of Bernie Sanders with the not me us. Yeah. He's he's getting people aware that we're going to have to take on the powers that be in order to just bring about a sane agenda. I because this capital has gone, you know, where capital has been operating in this mode for so long. I, and the one time, and if anybody out there watching or listening um, it can, can find this for me, there was something where he was on something like Bill Maher or one of the talk shows, Bernie Sanders, before he ran for president. Uh, that's how closely I follow Bernie Sanders, the yeah. former man president, where he talks about the risk of a capital strike. So Bernie Sanders yes, is cognizant yes, yes, yes. of that kind uh, of risk. That, I think that was Bill Maher. Yeah, we, we need to, that's when Bill actually had, you know, Bernie on. Yeah, well, we have to we have to say, well, he was yeah. very supportive last cycle, but he, um, and the problems with Bill Maher, we can get into that. Yeah, yeah that's, subject, that's a whole other hour. But, yeah, <laughs> but he was supportive of Bernie Sanders last time around. We'll see what happens this time. Yeah. And, and I think Bernie, too, you know, they're, they're hitting Bernie hard right now. Yeah. 
uh, the mass media, you know, they'll put one puff piece versus about Ten. 45 smears. But I think once he gets out in front of the American people again, I think that uh, romance with the general public well, will be let, rekindled. Can we go back and talk about the polling for a second? Because mm. you did bring up Biden and the mm. polling boost he has. I want to actually talk about something really specific to this. Because I've been looking at these polls, and I think a lot of folks don't know how to read polls. So let me let me say this. If there's a little arrow and it's in the under 45 category, it doesn't mean that they didn't speak to people under 45. It means they spoke to so few, so right. little people right. under 45 that they've now moved them over into this other category over right. here. Right. right. So I think there's two things that we need a to- A little bit skewed. Yeah. It's very skewed. But not a lot of it skewed. Not a lot, not right. as skewed as people imagine it. But right. I think I think the more, the, the, the more true and larger conversation here is that boomers- the baby boomers support Biden. And these, oh. if you look at who they're talking to, well, also with it's Gen, boomers. Gen, Gen Xers too. So I'm Gen X. And Gen yeah, no, we yeah. were pretty rotten politically going through All right, generation. fair enough. Not as bad as the boomers though. Or am I just like trying uh, to tell myself The boomers that? at least have the excuse <laughs> of a revolutionary youth. Right, but what happened to them? You're right. It's so um, crazy to me. What's the name of that movie? The the one with the Mot- Motown soundtrack from the 1980s, The Big Chill. Oh, yeah. right. And it's a telling movie about it. They start, hey, you yeah. hear about this investment opportunity? Yeah, you know? no, you're right. Uh, but I think it's an important conversation to have because this is the way the media manufactures consent for a certain mm. sort of viewpoint. Mm. And I think it can be very dangerous. And I remember last election cycle, we, you know, the mainstream media stopped doing exit polls um, mm. somewhere during the middle of the primary. I can't remember mm. exactly where. Mm. We didn't have any here in California. Mm. And I think these things are really important to keep. Well, I thought the whole, again, the, the focus on exit polling, I and mean, if you're somebody out there listening and you were one of the people who were, there might have been something to it. And maybe I'm mistaken. But my mm. sense is that Hillary Clinton was getting a very large portion of the mail-in ballots. Because uh, those tended to skew that might older, be the case, you know, but we wouldn't know it one way mean, or the other. Which would mean the, the exit polling would be yeah. skewed for the other candidates. But we didn't have it to look at, which mm. I think is the problem. Mm. I, you know, because there were some saying, glaring exit polling results on those. There was, yeah. and I'm not a, much of a conspiracy also, theory New York in was, regards New York, to this. New York but, was, well, New York, the whole—I mean, how they even have that? And it's supposedly a progressive state. I know. I mean, wait—I think you have to register. A year. For New York. Yeah, around now. Yeah, now. Right. In fact, I tweeted New York. something about yeah. this. Yeah, make sure you're registered as a Democrat if you're not. Yeah, and that's again, the second part of the conversation. And I don't, so yeah, but I don't is, think we're, we're sheepdogging people in no. the Democratic Party. It's where the fight is now. Have no illusion about it. I completely agree with you. Um, but the other part is conversation, too, that I think the Democratic Party really needs to take a hard look at if they're going to be realistic about mm. winning this election. Mm. And I'm talking about the general. Mm. Is that the vast majority of Americans at this point are registered independent. Mm. And the vast majority of those folks are absolutely left-leaning, not right-leaning. So if you're going to tell me that you're going to go off of a poll that only talks to registered Democrats, which is 26% of the country, Mm. and not consider what the rest of these independents think Mm. that are left-leaning, you're Mm. in trouble. Mm. Because these are the folks, these are the swing voters we need to get to the polls to vote on our candidate. And if we don't tap in and we don't win their votes, we're going to be fucked big time. And these are the folks that really do support Bernie Sanders as well. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, so I feel like, again, we're not being, we're being disingenuous mm-hmm. about the conversation mm-hmm. in order to, in order to preserve the establishment. Well, you hear this, you, know from, you, you hear this from the conservative wing, of the democratic party, including among their base, which is that he's not even a Democrat. Oh, which is the dumbest yeah. freaking, like who cares? Right. It's about policy. Right. It's also about t- who people vote for. And he got a lot of votes That's from right. Democrats. Yeah. Democrat most of my all of my life. The only times I say most of it is because when I got mad at the party and left and was an independent. I've done that mm, a couple times, mm, just mm, out of just. Mm, ah. mm. The point being is, I don't care what letter you have after your name. If it's an I or a G or a D, I don't care. If you are supporting the policies that matter to me, I'm going to support and vote for you because mm, that's mm, what matters. Mm. I'm not going to vote for a guy like Manchin. Mm, I'm mm. not going to. Half of these Democrats that that mm. you're talking about, these conservative, well, they're not people you, I would you, ever you, support. You see, people say that that Bernie Sanders will be a disaster for the Democratic Party in the red states. Well, I the Democratic Party true. has been a disaster for, for the, the Democrats Democratic Party. And the rest <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you hear that and it's like, oh, wow, that's just, you know, logic. Let's start with logic, you know. Right. Yeah. And here's the thing. If you look at some of 2016, some of the primaries, some of those primary states that went really heavily to Bernie, a lot of those votes were because they were open primaries mm-hmm, right. and you had independents participating right, that's in that. You won the independents big time over here. So this is, I think, well, if, if the Democratic Party is going to be reasonable about their strategy, strategy going which might be oh, a big ask okay, yeah, do you but, hear what i'm saying though? yeah but, you, but why are they not it's because 
Well, I think there's many ways to look at it. But when you look at the people who are in leadership in the Democratic Party, um, including down through staff and also, I mean, there's sort of like a consultancy industrial yeah, complex yeah, that you're absolutely. dealing with. And, uh, and there's a lot of money to be made there. I mean, the salaries that, you know, if you're close to John Podesta and John Podesta's yeah. activities, you're making bank. Yeah. And basically, uh, the Bernie Sanders movement is uh, to say that gravy train is over, is over here. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, and and it should be because the the look, there are three three political parties. I know people have a, their six political parties in the United States packed into the two party uh, system. Okay. I think there are clearly at least three right yeah, now. Yeah, I agree. There's the. Uh, Again, new authoritarian ethno-nationalist right that yeah. Trump represents. There's on the left, great thing, the emergent social democratic, Us. democratic socialist. <laughs> um, we want a decent society with, uh, right. with education, health care, right. and prosperity for all. And then there are the people in the middle from the Romney wing of the Republican Party through the Obama-Clinton wing of the yeah. Democratic Party. And that's 100. neoliberalism. Yeah. And they had a consensus economically yeah. until recently. Now, the the authoritarian right only in very minor ways threatens that neoliberal logic. Same thing going on in Europe. And this is why they're not going to make anything better for anybody. They still, Trump clearly supports the central component, which is, you know, the most important thing is the stock valuations, the stock market and the money for the rich. That's right. That's the central thing there. Everything else, you know, will dribble down to people at best from there. And, uh, you get the joy uh, if you're a bigot to have your bigotry expressed, right? Right, and yeah. uh, and which is a very terrifying it human is. sentiment with devastating uh, human, social, and global consequences throughout uh, the history that we all know from the past few centuries. Okay, and including obviously the 20th century and now into the 21st century. And then you know there's those of us on the left, and we do have to be mature about realizing we're talking about, uh, you know, a globally intertwined economic system with some significant reorganization. But I think the major barrier to the success of that reorganization are the entrenched attitudes of the very wealthy. Yeah. I mean, right now, I okay, I do think tax havens definitely have to be gone after. I agree. But I don't quite think that the Sanders, Warren, um, Jeremy Corbyn trajectory and the allies I spoke to on the continent of Europe, you know, the movement, the ideology at this point is not, <laughs> certainly not the guillotine yet. And we're not, we're not at knocking on the doors of the people in Beverly Hills and saying, I'm sorry, now we're going to turn this into cooperative housing. No, the wealthy are going to hold on to their assets and they're so fucking stinking rich. Which they if they, they are going to have to easy this. lives, right, after, you know, uh, some considerable readjustment so that we can have a prosperous society, one that has to be smart enough to tackle the global uh, climate emergency. Yeah, and, I and, agree. And that means that's all hands on deck. That's pressing. We can't even, what's the point of these other conversations if we don't do something and, about that? And we have one really great, yeah. great thing going on in the world, which is that young people seem to get it. I mean, if you take the measure yeah. of the politics of young people yeah. Yeah. Uh, around the world and clearly also in the United States of America, well, they're better than us Gen Xers. So. They are. I yeah. don't disagree with or that. Or at least than we were. I enjoy, hopefully we'll catch up with them now and be great Gen Xers. Yeah, I think that's happening. Forward. I do enjoy talking to a lot of these millennials. You know, they get a bad rap for some folks, but I'm like, no, they are more politically active mm-hmm. and astute on these matters than a mm-hmm. lot of mm-hmm. the older generations. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, my niece is a, she's a 21 and the, But their, their prospects are completely suffocated. Yeah, I mean, yeah. look, I went to UC system. I, I have a grad degree and I, I never had to take a student loan. Mm-hmm. Like student loan, what for? Right. What would you get a graduate degree? So my undergrad is in drama and dance performance. Mm-hmm. So I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts and then my master's in philosophy of science. So I'm, oh, a, wow. I'm a writer and a lefter. Right. Left brain. Both. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me explain that. I'm one of those weirdos, I guess. Uh. But um, I fell in love with philosophy when I was getting my undergrad degree because... Mm-hmm. I started taking mm-hmm. a couple courses for, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. what do you call those? The mm-hmm. ones you get to pick, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I just got sucked in. Oh, yeah, I love then that. I took yeah. some logic classes mm-hmm. and I got really sucked into mm-hmm. induction and probability calculus. Oh, wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Next thing I know, I'm like, shit, I'm going to get a master's in this now, which mm-hmm. I did. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and now applying all of that wisdom and, um, and yeah. physical agility from the dance uh, exactly. to your political... 
Yes, at almost the age of 50. Yeah, no, this is true. I mean, and plus the life experiences that you have, you know. Um, I want to ask you, you had this really great piece last month in The Nation, Mm -hmm. which I'll put a link to in the bio of the podcast so people Mm -hmm. can check it out. Uh, But it's about, I think it really gives us a good glimpse into the internal machinations of the DNC and Mm -hmm. why we have to fight this battle. So... Mm -hmm. We had um, Susie Shannon, who is an activist here in California. She was Great one activist. of the yeah. Mm-hmm. She was one of the founders of the Progressive Caucus, mm-hmm. I believe, right? Mm-hmm. So she had this idea. Also, she was a Bernie delegate. Mm-hmm. I think she might have been the only one that got into the DNC post from California, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so mm-hmm. specifically from California. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she had this idea of creating a poverty council, mm-hmm. which I think is incredibly necessary at this point mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. apparently the dnc is not getting behind this <laughs> you're laughing it's, it's, it's like if you read the article it's really quite comic they, they they're like no 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 so she goes all the way to tom perez and whether he just didn't read the you know get the message or what um he was like oh yeah good idea because <laughs> it is a great idea it's a it's like a pass at which point, then she just—they're blocking her. They're every blocking her every single step of way. The way. They can. Yeah. So I took the Nation magazine article, and this is the thing too. I look. Um, I want the folks who work on the staff at the DNC to realize this is a great idea and to embrace it. Um, but you know, love you guys. Let's keep working together. Let's get the Poverty Council happening. Um, but by all measure, it seemed to have taken that article in the nation and the press that it generated to get them to call up and say, oh, no, it was just a bureaucratic matter. It's going to (laughs) happen. It's not, though. I mean, if you look like... Well, we made it happen. We did make it happen. You attended some of the DNC meetings, right? But I mean, I'm sure they'll try to block it. They'll try to block it. So, you know, in my experience, uh, if they do not... Look, here, let me me go back and say Mm -hmm. this. It's shocking to me how many DNC members are lobbyists. And if anybody in the audience doesn't know this, they need to get really clear Mm -hmm. on this. Mm -hmm. I think the prime example of the apex of that was every Clinton appointee to the Unity and Reform Commission was a lobbyist. (laughs) Every last one of them. It's comical. You have, you know, and and it's not just the the obvious was the healthcare industry, Mm -hmm. big pharma. Mm -hmm. It's also arms dealers. I mean, we we would need to have a conversation about Philippe Reigns, beacon management. This is a guy that worked for Clinton as Secretary of State, worked on her campaign. Mm -hmm. His main job is an arms dealing. With Absolutely. Saudi Arabia and sure. other foreign of countries. Yeah. But well, they're the, they're, the, they're the best, most dubbish of countries. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you would think, right? From yeah. the way that these... Well, I mean, Jesus, this is a, this is a thing. <sighs> I mean, you know, I, yeah, I don't want to get into the clinic. That's another hour so, conversation. Yeah. But you get my point. Yeah. So, th- so every time you see staff members of the DNC doing this stuff, I my blood boils because we have people... Mm-hmm. Working for our organization that aren't supporting the platform that they are supposed to be protecting, they 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 fl- it flies in the face. What they do for a living flies in the face of what it is we're trying to achieve. How can you be a lobbyist for the fossil fuel industry and for big chemical companies and then turn around and tell me you give a shit about well the Green New okay, Deal? Okay, the Republican Party, Mitch McConnell, he is as powerful a person as there is in the United States outside of the presidency. I will grant that. Okay, Mitch McConnell um, has his party in lockstep. Last cycle, there were two Republicans who broke rank. Well, there were three. Um, So Let me guess, Rand Paul? No, no, No. but in the Senate. Oh, in the Senate, okay. So Flake and Corker. Ah, right, okay. uh, And then really Flake. Um, And then Mikowski seems to get away with it. I think, I don't know what the dynamics are specifically within that Senate seat in Alaska, but I think they just view her as, as uh, they can't, they can't can't. not have her be the nominee. Yeah. But basically elsewhere, outside of the dynamics, apparently of Alaska, um, (laughs) the, um, they know that they can knock out anybody who breaks ranks. Right. So they walk in lockstep. Why do they walk in lockstep? Because their paymasters say that if, I mean, how do you knock somebody out as a Republican incumbent senator? They're not going to get any funding. Yeah, okay. the Koch brothers will take their money elsewhere. And not only that, the Koch brothers will take their money from this other organization that they're the also Democrats. underwriting, and it's a whole network. Yeah. And no, they won't give it to the Democrats. So they'll but take they the have. money away. They'll just take there the money. There are Democratic candidates that have taken money from oh, these guys. Oh, sure. I mean, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. Okay, so now we get back to the Democratic Party. But basically, they walk in lockstep because the minute you break rank, you're, 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 no yeah. more money, the gravy train's over, all of that is gone for you as a Republican. 
you're dead, you're done. Right. I mean, you can try again to, I mean, Mitt Romney probably has enough cachet within yeah. the Republican Party to break ranks occasionally. And Flake now, he's probably considering still whether he's going to challenge Trump. Right. And uh, Romney may challenge Trump. Um, and But that wing of the party is pretty atrophied, right? Yeah. In the Democratic Party, it's the same thing, except not quite as, as tight. Right. And okay. the gravy train will end. And you will not get those jobs ever again. And the money you're getting is much, is much huge. higher. Yeah. Well, no, it's not as high as the Republicans. Well, no, some of them are. You're right. Some of the no, some of the Democrats are super high. You're right. As lobbyists, because they know they need the Democrats. Yeah. And so they hold them with loads of money. Yeah. But generally, the pay rate among the Republicans yeah, is very, yeah, very high. Democrats, very high. That's then you get to the social democratic and democratic social swing, the one that supports. The, yes. <laughs> you can take a few zeros off of that. Yeah. And so that's what it is. I mean, you have bought and sold people. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. So mm. we have to break that sort of bot mold. I think money and mm. politics mm. at the end of the day is absolutely the root of all right. evil. And, if, if, and I think to segue into yeah. another subject, which I think you want to bring up uh, at the end is if you want big money and you, everybody wants big money. Join a PDA chapter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that is that is my final question for you, Alan. I know We're announcing you're... infinite raises for everybody. Infinite. So you know, we Zero you have the parent organization, which, which Pro Progressive Democrats of America, mm. on the national level. But now the plan is to open local chapters, not just on the state level, but also like Los Angeles, Chicago, yes, St. Louis. Every, we want every congressional district. So oh, every every single we want congressional. That's brilliant. So walk mm. us through that plan and, and what we need to do. To oh get wow! There. Well, it was the plan, you know, from the inception, and it got it got it gets up to where about 120 about 120 uh, congressional districts are covered. Um, we have uh, PDA supporters in every congressional district. We don't have chapters active. So we want active chapters. And an active chapter, we're going to set up, a, a, we have already have a 501c4 partner. We're going to set up another 501c4 channel. Well, what does the 501c4 channel uh, allow us to do right. is to have a mass membership uh, organization that can lobby at the state right. and uh, Which local. Which you cannot do at the C3. Right, yeah. right. At national um, uh, level as well. So that means every chapter, you, you look at organizations and no matter how focused they are, if they're political organizations, sometimes you show up and you don't really know what you need to do. Well, PDA is going to have a very clear and precise um, set of tasks for every chapter. And that is with a monthly meeting of the local chapter in a congressional district, you discuss what the liaison in the chapter to the, your congressperson will do. Okay. So for us, it's to yeah. Jimmy Gomez, who in our chapter will be the person who is going to introduce themselves. I mean, this is a little tricky because you have the executive director in your local chapter here, right. me. So I'll probably go along with the liaison. And I know you're right. I know Jimmy and, and we'll go and meet Jimmy once a month. But we will also uh, probably choose somebody to be a liaison to our senator's offices, Right. right. So obviously we live in Los Angeles. They're not in our district, but right. we have offices for both Diane Feinstein and Kamala Harris. That's right. And then we have um, city council. We have state representative. We have state senator. To every one of these, uh, we will have a liaison from our chapter. That person once a month will go and visit that chapter, introduce themselves. Yeah. Right. And this way, again, the policy agenda that we support of course, there'll be feedback from the local chapters and from right. the individual members of the chapters. They will have a voice. But there is pretty clearly a progressive policy template that we support that does not have this kind of coordinated support at the citizen level. We will never match the right wing as long as we're living in any variant of capitalism, the money that they have. That's right. But we have the people. We have the people. And we and, and these elected officials are not hearing from the people. No, it's they, a problem. That has been an absent component, and that is what PDA is going to fill. And with it, we believe we can help transform American politics. I think this is genius, actually. Well, thank you. And I'll tell you why. And Tim Carpenter, the founder, really. No, this is uh, and genius. Tim, and when I first met Tim, um, he and I talked, and we bonded over this as, as a vision to it's go It's genius. Yeah, thank you. You know, I've served as a public policy director for a couple of nonprofits, mm -hmm. um, so I've been involved with getting people organized to to contact their congressperson because people don't realize that when you go into D.C. Mm -hmm. uh, or our state capital in Sacramento, 
they have laptops there at where they're where when they're on the floor and they're discussing legislation and voting. They do check in to see if they're hearing from constituents on certain oh, yeah. bills. Mm-hmm. And if they're not hearing from somebody in either direction, they're going to do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. But if they get a lot of public right. pressure from constituents in their district saying this is what I want. Well, not only that, we you know, know from national polls that we support the majoritarian opinion. There was a study that was done by a bunch of har- uh, Princeton. Uh, Princeton released it. And it was a political scientist mm-hmm. um, who did a study that showed public policy, the results of it in the United States. You get something passed when? When rich people support it. Now, rich mm. people make up at most a few percents of the population. That's interesting. Right? Now, there's occasionally the time when the general population and how we feel about it. We're issue, loud enough. No, no. There's no, no. That doesn't matter at all. Really? Okay, what is there, it? There are times when it overlaps with what rich people want. Oh, and so you get it. Okay. But other than gotcha. that, you only get it when rich people want it. Now, when we're loud enough, sometimes we end up persuading rich people. We have to change that paradigm, okay? We need to I say agree. that we look the little crack that we have left open for support is still our our um, tattered and torn democratic system. Yeah. But the crack in the door is still open. They still won't open. shut it, and they're not going to shut it. Hopefully, anytime soon. And that's one of the reasons we have to call for impeachment because we have to demand that. You know, the integrity of the system is tantamount. Right, I think, right. I think I you're mean, right on that. I mean, you know, the integrity of the system, one of the people, the people wonder. What's left the, of the integrity right. of the system. Well, I'm not sure how say. much integrity the system really ever had in any pure 100%. Don't forget, this society was predicated yeah, on some no, you're not really wrong. horrible you're things. You're not wrong. And, Absolutely. Um, yeah. And, and, and not only that, those particular horrible things, in particular, you know, race. Exploitation in the United States have never been rectified. So, of course, it's always been a, never uh, a system that has a corruption in its uh, DNA. Yeah. But there's, again, it, we have seen across American history the flexibility of the system to absorb and allow for progressive change. And we have the crack open. And also, by the way, our movements do need to demand that issues like the legacy of racism are fully addressed from this moment always forward. Right. We have to always demand that. Now forward, we have to address these things fully. And uh, But again, the system by which we can achieve that right now is through our electoral democratic system. Um, you know, were it so that there were vibrant revolutionary movements in our society. Um, and, you know, if you look at things like um, the Russian Revolution, the Chinese Revolution, the revolutionary periods, um, one of the things about those social transformations were they were largely agrarian societies. So people right, understood how they collected their food. <laughs> right. And uh, right now, less than 2% of the population is involved in food production. If we had a disruption, full-on disruption of the technological instruments for the delivery of all of those essential goods and services, we'd be in really bad shape very quickly. Hmm. So we have to do this through civil discourse, persuasion, organization. And again, the crack is open just a little bit. You got to make that thing open wide. We all walk through that then and create a much better society. So where do people sign up to join a local chapter on the PDA website? PDAmerica.org. Okay. And then the Twitter handle is... Um, just look for Progressive Democrats of America. Okay, I think it's yeah. PDA America, actually. It is, I 1A think so. or something? Yeah. Yes, right, 1A. And do, you don't have your own Twitter pro- You don't? No. no. I know Mike Hirsch does your communications director. He does it also. Janice so. Kay okay. works our Twitter. And uh, and also we're uh, very prominent on Facebook with a lot of the chat. A lot of the chapters have okay, their own Facebook, Facebook pages, okay. too. Good yeah, to we, we do Facebook. We do Twitter. Um, and uh, we are pdamerica.org. Okay, so folks, go and sign up and also donate some money so we can get this stuff funded. I know Mm -hmm. there's a tab on there, I've used it, where you can donate on the main Mm -hmm. website. That's true, yep. Yep. Okay. Well, thank you, Tina. This has been fantastic. (laughs) 